here is Laura Camacho. Welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast, where we talk about the conversations that you need to have to move your career forward so you can work smarter and not harder. And today we're talking to a British dude. His name is Russell Harvey, and he is a resilience coach. <laughs> His tagline is that he supports leaders who are wading through treacle to rediscover their mojo in six months. He's been called a walking encyclopedia on resilience. So if you're like me, you're like, what the heck is treacle? Well, it seems like a syrup, like it's something related to sugar. So we're going to talk to Russell about how we can be more resilient, which is helpful in developing executive presence and maintaining your sanity. I want to remind you of a new free class that's available to you. It's called Polish Your Pitch is a 30-minute training I've created. It's several short videos and a handout, couple and an extra PDF on your elevator pitch. It is for free. I'm going to link it in the show notes. If you don't see it, email me at hello at speakupwithlaura.com. That is my email address, and I will happily send you a link. But Polish Your Pitch goes through the whole process of how to ask for things, whether it's asking for a promotion, a transfer, getting investment in your company, doing a partnership, a collaboration, asking your husband to go on vacation to Tahiti or your wife, or your partner, a friend, anything you want to ask for, Polish Your Pitch is going to help you do it better. And guess what? It's free. You're welcome. So check out Polish Your Pitch, share it with your friends. And now let's welcome Russell Harvey. So Russell, welcome to the Speak Up with Laura podcast. I'm super excited to get to know someone who's a resilience coach. We all hate being told that we need to be more resilient. So why the heck did you become that kind of coach and tell us about that journey? Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I suppose branding and marketing wise, it's the resilience coach. It's not any old resilience uh, coach. It's, okay. yeah, it's the. <laughs> All right, audience. Yes. So I'm going to bring you just a garden variety resilience coach. I, I'm bringing you the resilience, the resilience coach. You're welcome. Absolutely. Yes, most definitely. So, how I got into it, I've always been interested in human beings and human behavior. How come we do the things that we do or we don't do the things that we do? That's always fascinated me. So the vast majority of my career has been in learning, leadership and organizational development. So people having light bulb moments, realization moments, aha moments about themselves and actually what they can do to lead the people differently. And all of that combined about eight years ago as me becoming the resilience coach. So I've worked in lots of different sectors, lots of leadership and line management. And the last role that I had on the corporate side was a company called the Co-op Group, the Cooperative. Mm -hmm. The cooperatives are global, but there's a big one in the United Kingdom called the Co-op. Not long after I joined them, they got themselves into quite a pickle, serious trouble as a business. So all of my clients inside the business sort of said, what's going on? They literally counting with their head in their hands going, oh my God, the world has gone upside down. I said, look, there's this word called resilience and there's this acronym called VUCA, V-U-C-A. And I say, our answers about what we do, how we face into this, how we come out the other side, how we feel okay with all of these challenges are in there. And when I left the co-op and thought, now is the time to write set up my own business, I was like doing some navel gazing and going, who am I? What do I do? And I went, you know what? I'm just talking about resilience. I am the resilience coach. It's what I do. That's how it came about, essentially. Okay. So, Russell, 
here we are about to have AI do all our jobs. We have cars that drive themselves. We have amazing medical care. It's very expensive, but it's quite amazing. Why should we be needing resilience? Like things are better for humans than they've been in the history of the world. So tell me, why do we need resilience? Well, for me, so resilience is about the human condition. So I suppose it's even more important to think of ourselves as humans. Because Yeah, if everyone's going to come along and take our jobs away, it's going to go, right then, what on <laughs> earth am I going to do instead? <laughs> That's a source. You know? Yeah, I might need some resilience for dealing with that. Right, so resilience. The, at the heart of resilience is our attitude to life. So, you know, people listening now, it's like, do you know what your attitude to life is? It's okay, you know, it could be on a scale of very simplistically, one side is like, literally life happens around me and there's nothing I can do about it. Or it can go, do you know what? I am master or mistress of my destiny and I completely can have total decision-making empowerment around what happens to me and my life. So the resiliency side is slightly more on that side, you know, go, do you know what? I can be there around it. So with so much change that's going on, so I know we talk about the fact that change is constant, which is a bit of a platitude. So it's not about just walking in a room full of people and going, change is constant, suck it up, deal with it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It's more about, okay, so if we can really accept that change is persistent and permanent, then for me, the resiliency side is actually thinking about, but what are the things that are going to stay the same? Oh, And so I work with clients around, Let's make sure that actually you building your resilience stays the same. Your strengths stay the same. You understand and identify what your strengths are and you keep playing to them and that stays the same. Your behaviours, your mindset, your qualities, your skills, your experiences, your support network. Let's get all of those staying the same so that you can face into persistent permanent change and feel good. I love that. There's so many things that we can't control, but there's probably more that we can control than we realize and really taking an inventory of that. So you're mentioning leaning into our strengths. Is there a specific strengths measuring tool that you prefer or how would you recommend? Yeah, there's a few out there. And so you can put it into Tinternet and you can find them out. So I'm qualified in one called Strengthscope. It is overseen by the British Psychological Society. And cleverer people than I have identified 24 strengths. Okay. And you take the psychometric and you decide, you self-assess what your significant seven are. And then chat with somebody like me, a coach, and then you identify a significant seven and your top three. And then the principle is, okay, how can you spend more of your time playing to the things that naturally energize you? So my top three of my significant seven are developing others, mm -hmm. strategic mindedness and collaboration. So anytime anything comes in front of me or how I respond to life is from those three. I'm naturally energized. So people sort of send me an email or pass me something. My strategic minus will kick in and I'll go, so what's the big picture here? What's the end point? How do we connect the dots? That's what I'll naturally do. Then I'll also go, how can we do this together? Right. Because collaboration. And then along the way, people will be receiving coaching because I am developing others. Those naturally energize me. They enthuse me. They keep me excited. I feel good. They build natural confidence and natural resilience.
So in an ideal world, it's for everybody that's listening now to understand actually their significant seven and top three strengths and go, right, how do I spend more of my time harnessing those and utilizing those to achieve all the things that I need to achieve? It's initially thinking about it's things over here. So my smallest energizer, which people might describe as a weakness, mm-hmm. is detail orientation. So if you ask me to do detail, I wither. It's like you burst my balloon <laughs> and I'm like, but why are you making me do detail? <laughs> so if you ask me to do lots of detail, I am upset. I'm like drained. I'm tired. I'm broken. So don't do it, you know? That's the principle. You will have to do it at times, but the initial principle is don't go for the developing your weaknesses angle to start with. Go for the developing your strengths angle. Right. So everybody listening, you can check his British Strength Finder, The Scope. Here we have Gallup. Yeah, absolutely. It's very similar to the Gallup Strength Finder. Yeah. Yeah, Clifton Gallup Strengths Finders. But everybody should be able to know at least some of their strengths. I know mine are intellect, learning, and strategy or three of mine, which is like somebody who likes to have a school. So I have my company name is McSonian Institute because I love that learning piece. But there are people that think, Russell, that if they go into their strengths, like say they're an engineer, but they say, well, but those strengths of mine, let's say they have the same as yours. I'm not going to make as much money. What are you going to say? Is there a trade-off there to work with what seems fun to you and easy and rewarding and making money? Well, absolutely. So it's a case of, well, how does that individual harness their strengths to make the money that they want to make? That would be how they would look at it, you know? So you're not in competition Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with other people's strengths. It's to go, actually, for me... To get the success, make the money or be the great leader or be the great family member that I want to be, you need to find a way to harness your strengths to be able to do that. So once again, it's thinking about your goals, your aims. One of the dimensions of being resilient is your purpose. Mm -hmm. So a purpose for me, it's more overarching than sort of uh, goals and KPIs. Your purpose is something bigger. So my personal purpose is by the year 2025, I want to positively affect 100,000 people. That's just me. Everybody that's listening now, it doesn't have to be as big as that. But that's what drives me. That's what energizes me. That's what enthuses me. This is why I do what I do. That's why I'm the resilience coach. This is why I come on podcasts, because I want to go, actually, if there's anybody that's listening now, that they've gone, ah, that was useful. I'm going to use that. They go into the bucket of 100,000. Absolutely. So you're adding to that bucket as we speak. And so your hypothesis is, if we're working to our strengths, that we're going to be naturally more equipped to deal with whatever life brings us, right? Plenty of strengths builds natural resilience and natural confidence. And one of the other dimensions of being resilient is confidence. So there's an awful lot of glue here. The strengths holds it together. Tell me a story about how that works. How does knowing my strengths make me more confident? Absolutely. So if we go back to the fact that my smallest energizer is detail orientation. Mm -hmm. So if you ask me to do an awful lot of detail, write a report, look at sort of real specifics, minute detail, I'm genuinely feeling tired and Mm de-energized. And so if at that any moment somebody comes along and says, oh, so Russell, do you fancy going sort of rock climbing today? I'm already tired place and I've already got the mindset and the attitude of, hmm, 
I don't think I'm very good at this. And I'm not actually being successful here. Things aren't quite working. So my self-talk has gone negative. Right. Yeah. So confidence is our balance of positive and negative thoughts. So when I am playing to my strengths and actually feeling really good and getting lots of reaction from people, positive, useful, worthwhile reaction, when I'm doing strategic mindedness or working with others or coaching, I feel good. You know, I believe in myself more. So if in that moment somebody comes along and says, oh, Russell, do you fancy doing rock climbing? I'm going to go, yeah, absolutely. Let's go for it. Let's do it. Right. And also I think... This was a big learning for me a few years ago is that when I or any person is feeling bad, let's say you're feeling de-energized because I've said, Russell, would you do my taxes for me? You know, then that would probably not be an energizing. (laughs) And then somebody is like, you're working on Laura's taxes and trying to understand and it doesn't make sense. And the friend asks you to go rock climbing. Not only are you not going to go because you're feeling bad, but you're going to give off a vibe of negativity. And so the person is going to think, well, I thought Russell was a fun person, but I think I was wrong. He's really not that fun. Absolutely, completely well. Because if somebody comes to you at that moment, the look upon your face is, if I've been doing loads of detail, I'm going to look drained. I might be frowning. You know, so we're allowed to do all of these things, but it's a case of somebody will come along and say, Oh, Russell doesn't look his normal, usual, sort of bouncy, happy self. What's going on? So, absolutely can totally have an impact upon others. So, then in terms of working with others, once you've identified your own strengths, and if you're a leader of a team or working with other people, you absolutely must understand your colleagues' strengths. Oh, yeah. So everybody that's leading a team, you should do an exercise to get to know everybody's strengths, right? Yeah. And you don't necessarily have to do the psychometric. You can find it out reasonably easily. So one of the, hopefully it's a tip for everybody that's listening, anybody that you work with or family members or friends or anybody that you sort of line manage, just have a conversation with them about actually looking at the past week and the week ahead. So anybody that's listening now can do this. So it's think about a past week that you've had. Was there an afternoon, a morning, or was there a day when you felt really good? You felt like you were in flow. You felt like actually you were productive and you were worthwhile and it was useful and you got things done, you know? And you get people to explore that and go, okay, so what were you doing? So in there, they will be able to describe some version of their strengths. So you can also go, okay, so think about your week ahead. Think about your diary ahead. When you look at certain days of the week, is it like Monday afternoon? You go, ah, oh, I'm working on X project or X activity. Oh, that's brilliant. I love doing that. And you might go to Tuesday morning and go, oh, God, I've got this thing to do. Oh, no. So that's immediately a clue. One of them's probably playing to strengths and one of them isn't. So when you're a line manager, a leader of a team, discover what it is, those things in people's diaries when they naturally go, oh, yeah, I'm doing that on that day. And you have to strike a balance. You have to manage it. Right, right, right. If we could, the idea is that you can lead your people so they're doing the things that they naturally enjoy doing most of the time. But I understand we have job descriptions and you can't just let people do whatever they want. Right. But those times that they're not naturally energized by it, the terminology that we talk about is those instances where you're not naturally energized by it, you've just got to be good enough. Okay. So don't be a master of it, of your time. Don't be a master of it. No. And that's where the really interesting conversations come in from a line management point of view, because 
the line manager's version of good enough could be quite different. So we have to do compromise. So that's the art. That can sometimes be the tricky bit to go. As a line manager, I've suddenly realized I'd like them to do this to this standard and they're never going to get there. Right. But I think we have to all accept that no matter you have your dream job, I certainly have my dream job, but there are parts of it that I do not like. Anything related to the accounting is probably it's the detail thing. <laughs> but I love like when I'm creating a new content for a workshop or an online class, just thinking, oh, how can I get them to understand this thing that's going to help them and what would be a fun way to share it? That to me is like dark chocolate with caramel and salt. It's just so good. Okay. So if you're a leader, which for listening to this, you probably are, or you want to be a people leader, you want to know your own strength, which I think is key for confidence so that you can speak to, like you say your boss wants you to do something different and it's not to your strength, then you know that you need to negotiate the terms more carefully. And then know the people that you work with, know their strengths. So what if you're newly promoted? right? Mm -hmm. And you're kind of lost, but you don't want to admit that. How can you be resilient and somehow exude confidence when you're like lost in space? So it's holding on to this. If you're newly promoted, so there's a few assumptions on here. It's understanding what was the journey to gaining the promotion, because sometimes you get a tap on the shoulder right? in a nice sense. Yeah. To sort of say, oh, there's a job that's coming. I think you should apply for it. So Hopefully, nicely, you've been talent spotted. Okay. So it is straight away thinking about actually what was your natural confidence in going for the role. So you've got to be really clear about what was your why, what was your purpose for going for the role. Why are you there? Why are you there? Absolutely, why are you there? But at the same time, if you instigated it more, that's good because you might have seen the job and you've gone for it. How you maintain your resilience is getting some real clarity on. Lots of conversations before you go to the job, before the job and the interview, about making sure your opinion of what the job is, mm-hmm. is similar to everybody else's. Oh, uh, okay. Because a lot of people sort of go, oh, I've seen that job. And they immediately, in their subconscious, they make some assumptions about the job will be this, I'll be able to do that. I'll be able to do that. They'll be talking to themselves about it. So make sure you've got clarity that your view of what the job role is, is similar to others. But then if it's a case of, actually, you're right in what the job role is and should be, and everybody else around you is not there yet, that's when you have to have even more resilience. Because you might have gone in to do the job to go, actually, this job needs to be run this way, this particular style, to resolve our problems. Everybody else might be used to it being run a different way. So then that's when you absolutely have to think about your general natural resilience levels. And it's not one thing. So I talk about the fact that there's this thing called the resilience wheel, which has got seven aspects to it. So I've referred to some of them. So whilst you're newly promoted, you need to be working upon your individual resilience and making sure a resilience wheel with these seven bits and pieces to it is in a half decent place. So attitudes at the heart, it's your purpose. So why are you doing this job? It's your natural confidence. It's how open to change you are, adaptability, your support network your internal storytelling and playing to your strengths. 
that's a whistle stop tour of the resilience wheel. You know, <laughs> when you get each little aspect of that wheel into a good place, you'll be building your natural resilience levels. So they're all interconnected. If you work on one bit, it will have a positive impact upon your confidence. So that's how you maintain your confidence. You don't necessarily always have to be working upon your confidence to build it. So be really clear about why you're doing the job and really think about, as ever, in terms of repeating myself, really understand what your strengths are and harness those to do the job. So if you're finding you're spending loads of time doing things that you don't enjoy doing in the new job, that's when you need to get some help, you need to delegate, etc. Adapt. And the thing I say to a lot of clients, even when they're highly experienced line managers and leaders, or even when they're brand new, I say ultimately there are two things, it's a couple more, but two things that you are genuinely responsible for as a line manager. One of them is delegate brilliantly. So delegate to other people's strengths. And the second thing that you're there to do as a line manager is to remove blockers. Right, right. So if your team come to you and say, this isn't working or we can't get our jobs done, Yes, you'll do some coaching with them about what have you tried, play to strengths, you're doing some conversations. But at some stage, they'll go, no, boss, line manager, we're now at the stage where you have to go talk to your colleagues and open the path for us. Take these blockages away, you know? Right. Okay. So let me ask you a question. Since you're the resilience coach, can you tell by an introductory conversation with a person, let's say even me, can you assess that somebody is pretty resilient, high, medium, low. Can you tell from that conversation? What would be the tells? So the tells, it's about language. So a lot of the time when you sort of say to anybody, how are you? How was your week? How was your day? How was that meeting? How's this project going? How they answer it gives me some indication about in that moment, how resilient they're feeling. Because really simplistically, you've got somebody that can answer it from the point of view of like, they could sort of say, well, you know, my day, it started early and first person I spoke to, it went downhill from there. <laughs> Whoops. You know, and literally every meeting I went to after that, I felt like it was a waste of space, didn't have any impact. And to be honest with you, I don't really think there's any point in me being in this job. <laughs> so that's an answer. That's an answer they can give. Yeah? Yeah. Now, they then with a little bit of conversation, they may be able to reasonably quickly turn that around. But if they're struggling to turn that around, then I'm thinking actually their resiliency is taking a bit of a battering. So some people might be immediately have the same day as that person, but they could answer it differently. So we're saying, yeah, so it started early. I had an awful lot of challenging meetings, but I noticed in each of all of my challenging meetings, I managed to make a point. Mm, okay. I managed to feel as though I'd been heard. And actually, I realized that one of my colleagues came to me late in the day. They passed me in the corridor and they actually just asked me how I was because they noticed actually I was looking a bit frustrated. So I was like, oh, that was really nice. Somebody came to me and asked me how I was. Now, those same things could have happened to the same person, but how they described it. Okay. Right. internal storytelling. It's their internal monologue. Right. Which just gives me an indication about actually what's that person's natural resiliency in that moment. And those that struggle to take a lot longer to be able to reframe things. But it's not about telling lies to yourself. You must tell the truth. So one of the things I talk about a lot is this word optimism. 
and first, which is heavily linked to positivity, but it's just like everybody listening to think about optimism because optimism is grounded in reality. Okay, your starting point for optimism grounded in reality. So if something has been horrible and difficult and terrible, you need to accept that with good grace. Accept the fact that it's really difficult, challenging, terrible circumstances. And accept that with good grace, not necessarily to sort of depress yourself, but just go, this is how it is. Then the next bit that you do is go, right then, with my strengths, my skills, my experiences, my attitude, whatever levels of resiliency I've got, my experiences that I've got and the people around me I've got, how hopeful am I that we can face into this challenge? And so that's where the optimism comes in. If if you're genuinely going, I genuinely am hopeful we can face into this challenge because everything that I've got. And then when you do that, you get feelings of positivity. So the feelings of positivity come afterwards. Right. If that makes sense. Yes, it does. That is a great point. I love how you're giving us these specific examples. And everybody listening, don't be fake. This is not about being fake. This is about finding the true opportunity. And yes, there are terrible things that happen to people sometimes on a daily basis. Life is hard. That is just the truth about it. Thank you so much. That is awesome. I know people can find you on LinkedIn and we will put your web contact in the show notes. This has been super interesting. Everybody, now you know you can be real, be yourself, be confident, be resilient. And Russell, check him out, Russell Harvey, the resilience coach. And we will catch you on the next episode.